0: everything that you've given us, God. We thank you for the breath that you have breathed into our body, God. And I pray that we use that breath to continually praise you, not just today in this room, but as we leave this place and as we go about our lives this week, God. God, as we enter into this week, this holy week leading up to Easter, God, I pray that we remember the things that you have done for us. Thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross for us, God. And God, we rejoice in that he is no longer on that cross. And he is no longer in that grave, but he is very much alive in our world today. God, and as we enter into this week, I pray that we will guard our hearts against the distractions and the temptations that this world has to offer, God. God, it is so easy to become distracted by things that just don't matter. God, I pray that we will leave our hearts and our our minds open to what you have to reveal to us, to what you have to show to us this week, God. And, and for, for we thank you so much for, for allowing us the opportunity to witness your victory over evil. God, we pray that our faith will be made stronger this week and continue because of the things that you have done, you have shown us, and the things that you have
1: This week, today and this week, as we focus on the sacrifice that you have made for us, may we worship you like never before. With all of our heart, with all of our soul, may we cry out to you. The King of kings and Lord of lords, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of reasons that we can praise you. Jesus, be magnified in our heart. In our daily quiet time with you, we look forward to this time that we're getting to spend.
2: Well, as we go through these 21 days of prayer and fasting, we're encouraging one another to try something that maybe we've never done before, to deepen our relationship with the Lord. We've uh, provided some resources for you out in the atrium, uh, resources that talk about how you can pray. Uh, Dr. Phil and Lou Wallach have given us some information about that. And one of the the ideas of fasting is, uh, and in fact they quote Dallas Willard, is that God allows us to feast in the midst of a fast which sounds counterintuitive. But when we fast, we're opening the avenues for feasting with God. And uh, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to fast over these 21 days at any point in the way that you felt like God was leading you. Uh, but I do wanna remind you of a tradition that I shared with you a number of different times, but it applies to, to this Holy Week. Uh, a number of years ago, when I was a young man, I just felt impressed, and I think it was actually in seminary when I did this for the first time. Uh, on Friday, Good Friday, I just decided that when I got up on Friday that I would fast until three o'clock, which represents the time that Christ died. And when you're fasting, you are reminded of why you're fasting. And you might wanna try that. And at three o'clock, I enjoy uh, food and celebrate what Christ has done for me. But if you've never fasted before, I will tell you that seemed like one of the longest days of my life going all the way till three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, And maybe you wanna do an abbreviated fast, even less than that. But I hope that you'll try something to connect with god and today as we continue the great interruption i want to remind you that we were interrupted in an incredible way last year about easter and uh just so that we are all on the same page remember that when we gather for easter next week this will be the first time that we have gathered in this room to celebrate easter and the resurrection in two years as i hope you'll plan on being here and if you have a friend to invite i hope that you'll bring them along, and that we'll be very conscious as we continue in this pandemic, be very conscious to be responsible and caring and compassionate about other people, but invite them to be a part of this. Today, as we continue through the Gospel of John, the great interruption, we come to a miracle that points to a greater miracle. Today, we're going to take a journey from an event we've all heard about to an event we will all experience today. We'll draw a line of connection from the miracle of Jesus feeding a massive crowd to the communion we will take together in just a few minutes. What happened 2,000 years ago in a meadow along the Sea of Galilee cannot be separated from what will occur today in this sanctuary. In John chapter 6, we reach a pivot point in which John turns to the last year of Jesus, We've gone through five chapters of John, and we've seen the first couple of years of Jesus' ministry, and in John chapter 6, we began to see the last year of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. And in this chapter, he gives us all kinds of information that points to his purpose statement of us believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and as we believe in him, we will experience life-changing, eternal life. There's a couple of things that happen in John 6. It's a busy chapter. It's a long chapter. It starts off with a feeding of 5,000 men. And we'll see that there's even more than that. And after Jesus creates this miracle of feeding 5,000 men, a miracle that we've all heard about, he then is abandoned by his disciples, and he has to walk across the Sea of Galilee. He alters the time continuum. And once he gets to the other side the following day after his miracle of feeding 5,000 people, he's confronted by those who have just received this miracle the day before, and they have a question, a question that involves manna and the bread of life, and the fact that he is the bread of life. He, He then gives them a challenging statement, a statement that is so challenging, and in their minds so repulsive, that most of the crowd turned away, and they quit following Jesus. And that leads us to the miracle that points to a greater miracle. Miracle of feeding 5,000 men. It's John chapter six, verses one through 15. It's the only miracle of Jesus recorded in all four of the gospels. And it's interesting because most of us have heard this story about feeding of the 5,000. In that culture, they only counted men. No disregard to women, they just didn't count women and children. And so we will gather that this crowd is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 20,000 people. John wants us to see that as Jesus is entering into this last year of life and ministry, he has amassed an enormous crowd that is following him. He's up by the Sea of Galilee, they're out in a meadow, and he says to his disciples, why don't we feed these guys? Philip thinks he's just kind of baiting him and so he says hey uh, listen lord if if we had a half year's wages we couldn't give everybody a bite now let's just put that into perspective how much money would that be well i've married off our daughter and michelle and i know what a wedding reception cost and you people are expensive to feed the medium income in america today is somewhere in the neighborhood of about $32,000 a year. Philip says if you had half of that, people would only be able to get a bite. So he's saying if we had a meal for $16,000, everybody here couldn't even get a bite of food. And I'm telling you, this was a small meal that Jesus used to create this miracle. Jesus had everybody sit down. He said, you guys just go ahead and have everybody relax a little bit. And they're wondering what in the world is he going to do now they had a kid's lunch the very first real live actual happy meal it had five hush puppy-like pieces of bread like a golf ball and two sardines fish about the size of your finger but the reason i say it's a happy meal is because this will make people happy our kids grew up on mcdonald's happy meals we seldom ever paid much attention to the food in those meals but it was always the toy and I will never forget when our daughter under the age of five maybe even four wanted to know if when we died and went to heaven there would be McDonald's in heaven because that's the only thing that would make heaven something she would want to do here is Jesus taking this little happy meal and he creates this enormous meal from it He begins to break it after praying over it. And all of a sudden it turns into this meal that not only feeds over 20,000 people, but there are 12 baskets left over. And you wonder what that must have looked like. Imagine 20,000 people. That's a lot of folks. And how long would it take for this miracle to take place? I remember a number of you have have, uh, gone to the First Baptist pageant years ago down at the Julie Rogers and re- remember that scene in which they have the, 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 uh, the reenactment of this miracle and, and up on the stage through the trap door, they would have a basket and people from underneath would, would just be feeding up fish, you know, to, to make it look like the miracle. You imagine how long it would have taken if Jesus was breaking this, giving to the disciples. They go one line and then one line and one line. I mean, they would have been there Forever. I just wonder what it must have been like when Jesus began to, to break this bread and these, and these fish and he gave them to the disciples. And I'm just picturing in my mind to feed 20,000 people in a relatively short period of time that they took these baskets and they began to walk around and every time someone would grab something out of the basket, it would just reproduce and they just, they couldn't get enough of them going out. 12 baskets left over from little bitty Happy Meal. And something remarkable happened to the people there. Possibly for the first time in their life, they were satisfied. Now, Have you ever pushed away from the table and complained to someone? Oh, I ate way too much. Yeah, probably all of us have. They never did. That, that just didn't happen in that culture. People never had enough to eat. Uh, Tom Brady, the, the quarterback that seems like he's ageless, has reminded us that, that he always pushes away from the table when he's 75% full. And I've been trying to do that. I'm trying to figure out, you know, where is 75%? How do do you know where that is? Well, well, they never had to worry about that because they, they ate whatever was there, and it never satisfied them. And Scripture tells us, maybe for the first time in their life, that all of these people were satisfied. They were so satisfied that there was food left over. And so they really thought Jesus was rocking it. So much so that they said, you know what? They gathered together, and they said, we need to make him king. And so they were going to try to make him king by force. And Jesus walked away. He said, that's not the reason that I've come. He said, what you want to do is you want me to make you comfortable. But that wasn't his objective. His objective was to make them righteous. You see, their hunger would return the next day or later that day. And even if he did this miracle every single day and fed them on a daily basis, their hunger would still return. And Jesus was saying, I didn't come to make you comfortable. I came to make you righteous. It's a huge difference. Some of you are very comfortable right now. You love the lights down, you know that I can't see all of you, so I know you sit in strategic places where the lights don't shine on you, so I can't see you, I know what's going on. But you know what happens when you're comfortable? You, know, you, you go home, and, and you a tough day at work or school or whatever it is, and you might have a chair that you like to just recline in. What happens when you're comfortable? I'm going to go home after this service, and I'm going to take a nap this afternoon. Sunday afternoons are the days that I get comfortable. It's the only day I take a nap, but you guys just wear me out. And so I go home, and I take this incredible nap that lasts about 45 minutes. And one of the last things that I want to hear when I'm taking the nap is a phone ring, so I don't have my phone. I put it in another room. But I don't wanna hear my wife come in and say, can you help me out in the yard? (laughs) I don't wanna be disturbed when I'm comfortable. The same thing that is true of us physically when we're comfortable is spiritually. Comfortable people don't change the world. Jesus didn't come to make us comfortable because if we're comfortable, we're not gonna do any good. We're just gonna be comfortable. But he came to make us righteous so that we could experience his righteousness and literally change the world. So, this feeding of the 5,000 points to a greater miracle. But I want us to take just an intermission for a moment to see what happens next. Jesus leaves the crowd that's trying to make him into a king, and he goes up into the mountain by himself. And then it tells us in Scripture in John chapter 6 that the disciples got in the boat and they went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long, eight miles wide at the, at the, the widest part. Now, now, you know that there were no female disciples from this one story because they get in the boat without Jesus and they leave. Women don't do that. But the guys, they're all thinking about themselves. How did I look? Wonder what the crowd thought of me. How are we going to get across the sea? They're in the boat. They're rowing across the boat with no idea that Jesus isn't even with them. And Jesus is up on the mountain. He's saying, this thing keeps happening to me. When I was 12, they left me at the temple. Now my disciples, they're leaving me here. So he walks across the Sea of Galilee. They're about, it says in Scripture, about three to four miles out into the middle of the lake. And he walks in the middle of the night, scares the fire out of him. And Matthew records, this is the episode in which Peter gets out of the boat and walks in the water. But but John doesn't talk about that. But John gives us something the other writers don't give us. It says that once he got in the boat, the boat was immediately on the other shore. Wow. Wow. Jesus breaks the time continuum. John is revealing to us, not just cool stories, but that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God, and he is sovereign over all creation. Could you imagine what that boat ride felt like? I mean, you're in there, and all of a sudden, it's just this world, and you're at the shore, four miles away. Jesus gets out of the boat, and then the next day, the the crowd that was, fed the, the, all of the food in that miracle, they come up to Jesus and they say, hey, we've been looking for you. Where'd you go? And Jesus doesn't answer the question because here's the deal. Jesus doesn't just deal with our curiosity. He deals with our needs. And he doesn't answer the question. He just responds to them and say, you came after me because I made you feel comfortable because I, I gave you a meal. i tell you what you need to do is you need to believe in me. You need to see from that sign that I am the son of God who can give you eternal life. And they say, okay, talk about signs. Why don't you give us a sign as if feeding 20,000 people wasn't sign enough. They said, you know, our ancestors, they, they ate out in the desert. They, they ate manna, manna that came down from heaven. and 40 years, they ate manna. Now that was a real sign. What you did yesterday, yeah, It's pretty cool going to give us a sign? And Jesus said, that manna came down from heaven, from God. And I have come down from heaven, from God, to be the bread of life. Jesus was trying to do what he does with all of us. He's trying to take them from their physical need. And we can see by this miracle that Jesus is indeed interested in our physical needs. He's interested in every detail of our lives. He's interested in our physical needs, but he knows that that's not enough. And he tries to point them to their spiritual need. And he starts talking about another miracle. The fact that he is the bread of life who has come down from heaven. And then he begins to really rock their world. He says in verse 51 that he is the bread of life and begins the I am statements as we see in verse 35 that John's gospel is known for. But Look at verse 51. It says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of of the world, and all of a sudden, they started saying, whoa, 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 this is weird, this is like cannibalistic, you're saying that we need to eat your flesh? Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. What's this statement about? It's about appropriating Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Think about what you do with food. You, all of you look pretty good, for the ones of you that I can see, You look really nice in your clothes. And we put on clothes and clothes can make us look nice and we wear clothes, but clothes are external. In fact, clothes can cover up a lot of things. Our clothes are an external thing, but food is an internal thing. And when we take food, it goes into the very core of who we are. It's not just sitting externally on us, though it is a little bit after COVID, but but it goes inside of us. It becomes a part of us It affects us, and it can even change us. And so Jesus is speaking symbolically to say, just as you took the bread that made a difference inside of you, that became a part of you, you must take me, not physically, but spiritually, you must take me into the very core of who you are and allow me to affect you and allow me to change you. Jesus said, it's, it's like manna. You have a responsibility. You remember what the responsibility of the Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew people were? What, what the responsibility was when they went out? Every day, they had to gather the manna, and then they had to eat it. If they didn't gather it and they didn't eat it, it did them no good if the entire wilderness was filled with manna. It's only those who appropriated it that it met their needs. And Jesus is saying, that's the way I am. You must receive me, appropriate me into your life. So the connection point that we see today, I said in the beginning, we're connecting ourselves from the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 to the observance of the Lord's Supper. Of a physical miracle and then a spiritual miracle of how Jesus Christ became our Lord and Savior. That's not to say that these elements have anything to do with our salvation. We do these symbolically to remember that Jesus Christ has given us eternal life. It's only Christians who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, have been baptized publicly as a demonstration of that, seeking to follow Christ as repentant followers of Christ, they receive these elements. And in doing so, they're reminded that they have appropriated Jesus Christ into their lives. I want us to see what the disciples have to say. Because when all of the crowd begins to leave, when Jesus says, you're going to have to eat my flesh, drink my blood, to experience eternal life, it says that the crowd, this huge crowd, turned away. They no longer followed him. But in verse 68, as Jesus turns to his disciples and asks him if they're going to leave too, Peter responded, to whom shall we go? You, in the original language, alone have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe, as John talks about over and over and over, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. We're thinking about this word follow. The crowds decided to not follow Jesus. The disciples decided to follow Jesus. That word means, it's two Greek words, alongside and walk. The crowd decided that they were no longer going to walk alongside of Jesus. And the disciples said, we're not going to follow the crowd. We're going to follow you because we want to walk alongside of you as our Lord and Savior. You know, we oftentimes think that it, it would be, so fun to have been one of the disciples or or at least one of the 11 disciples not too fun to be Judas but we think about what would that have been like to walk with Jesus and wouldn't that be amazing but you know it it really would have been pretty scary because it seemed like every single time Jesus asked him a question they're all like looking at each other wondering who has the answer And, and Peter was was pretty good about responding whether he knew the answer or not and Peter makes this incredible confession. Remember, he is the one who made the confession to say, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Upon that statement, that reality, that truth, I will build my church. Later in the book of Acts, we see that Peter makes another great confession in which he, he says to those that are trying to bow down and worship him, he said, Listen, I am just a man. You're Christ. I'm just a man. And here we have this confession in which he says, To whom shall we go? You alone have the words of life. See, that's the thing about the disciples. They understood, as much as they didn't understand, that only Jesus could give them eternal life. He alone. There wasn't another option. There wasn't a plan B. There wasn't someone else. Only he could give them eternal life. And that's the connection point of this miracle, is that Jesus, in feeding the 20,000 plus people, he demonstrated through that miracle that he would be the bread of life that would meet our spiritual need. Those people would walk away from that miracle and they would get hungry again, but he says, if you appropriate me, if you receive me as the bread of life, I will satisfy you. It doesn't mean that, that you'll be comfortable all through life because remember, God didn't come to make us comfortable. He came to give us eternal life, to make us right with God. And here's the kicker. God didn't come to make us comfortable. He came to make us righteous so that we would be right with God so that we can be comfortable for all of eternity. Wow, what a difference. Have you asked Jesus Christ to do that? Have you come to the realization in your life that God loves you more than you will ever be able to imagine and that he created you, yes, you specifically, to have a relationship with him? But as we see all through scripture, we're reminded why Jesus came is because we can never be right with God on our own. Our sin separates us from God and gives us no chance of a relationship with God. But thankfully, Jesus Christ came to make us right with God for all of eternity. It begins by humbly repenting of our sins, saying, God, I'm no longer going to walk alongside, follow my sin, but I'm going to turn from my sin, walk alongside and follow you. Would you please forgive me and become the Lord and Savior of my life? I hope you've shared that truth with someone this week. And if you are embracing that truth for the very first time today, I'm gonna invite you to join me in a prayer. It's not a magical prayer. It's just a prayer of the heart to say, Lord, I recognize that you're the only one that can make me right. So let's pray together as we prepare for this Lord's Supper. And for some of you, you are preparing for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that if anyone listening today in this room or online has never embraced you, appropriated you as the Lord and Savior of their life, that this would be the day. Father, as we prepare for Easter, there's no better way than to make sure that we are right with you. Might they pray a prayer similar to this, not a magical prayer, but just a cry of the heart to say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, we have been reminded of how that great miracle that we've heard so many times is so deeply connected to the experience we're about to embrace. To know that the Lord's Supper is a symbolic remembrance of the fact that you are the eternal bread. And it is only you that can give us eternal life when we appropriate you to do so. Help us to celebrate have hearts filled with gratitude as we receive these elements. Help us to be reminded that these elements, these, these, these symbols, don't save us. You do. You're the bread of life. And these are simply symbols to remind us of that. Lord, help us to not be so comfortable that we become useless in your kingdom. But God, help us to yearn for righteousness so that you would use us to make a difference in your kingdom, right here in this community. Christ's name we pray, amen. Love y'all, thanks for listening, and I'm gonna invite our deacons to make their way to the front, and they're gonna stand by the tables to assist all of us as we receive these elements. Again, just to go over it again, there's nothing that will save you inside these containers. Simply a reminder of Jesus Christ as our only hope, the bread of life. If you are a Christian, you've received Christ as Lord and Savior, you profess in Him, you've been baptized as a demonstration of that, we invite you to participate with us. We're gonna ask as we continue through this pandemic, there's so much optimism and boy, we're encouraged about all the things that are happening, but we wanna continue to be very mindful, compassionate and guarding of those around us. And so if you would put on your mask as you make your way to the front and receive an element, you'll find that there are two cups, there's one cup inside of the other, the crackers on the bottom, uh, some people have a tough time taking it out. Don't try too hard. Just turn it very easily and the juice will come out and you can tip over the cracker in your palm. Uh, if you don't have a mask, we have masks out in the, the atrium and you can go and pick one up as you make your way down to receive. So just come at your convenience to the table closest to you to receive these elements. Especially as we
1: celebrate your coming to us as King. We ask you to give us a new vision for what we should be about. It's different than our old vision. And sin has clouded that vision. And now as we partake of this symbol of you as our bread of life, as we take it in deep, let it fill us up with your presence. And your vision for us and how we should behave. May it change everything we do and every way we, we go. And we pray that in the name of the one who's the only one with the words of eternal life. Amen. Amen.
2: Physical bread will Amen. leave us dissatisfied. But Jesus said, I'm the, the bread of life that will always. Satisfy the deepest, the deepest longing of your heart. I am the bread of life. Do this in remembrance of me. The cup is reflective of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Without His sacrifice, we have no hope of salvation. But because of his sacrifice, there's no other work that needs to be done. It's accomplished, it's complete. And that's why Jesus would say, this is reflective of the covenant given through my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. You're welcome to worship however you would like in this final song as we conclude our our time together. And if you have a need, someone to pray for you or maybe you've received Christ and you want someone to help you with next steps or you want some more information about that maybe you want to join the church possibly you want to be baptized know that we'll be standing over at the crosses someone will be standing part of the staff will be standing over by the prayer benches we'll have some people out in the atrium that will pray with you if you'd like that so let's stand together worship and let's respond